Welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. It's normally our custom to cite our sources at the end of each episode. However, for this episode, there was only one. 22 great conversations to have with your kids about Marvel movies. An article by Timothy Deal, written for allprodad.com. We had a lot of fun going through the questions all fair with the family, and only included a small portion of them for this episode. I would highly recommend the article to anyone who, like us, has young Avenger fans in the family. It gave us a great opportunity to discuss important questions with our kids in a fun, interesting, and non-awkward manner. Finally, we wanted to thank Mr. Deal for taking the time to write the article and for giving us an opportunity to have meaningful dialogue with our children. We hope that our listeners find as much value in them as we did. Go ahead, step away. I can hear you sipping. <laughs> hey, hey, you got a you got a coaster right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, cloud forty-five. Mm, that's right, and welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. Today we are going to discuss Marvel movies and some of the morals, principles, life value lessons that we learn from the movies. I'm here with my co-host, Chris. Yo, guys. And we also have the continuation of our very special co-host, Joshua. What's up? Wasabi. We thought this one would be a fun one. It's basically, we're going to go through a lot of the different scenarios that occurred in many of the different Marvel movies, what lessons could be taken from those. I don't know. How would you put it? Yeah, kind of we'll talk about some of the morals of the story and expand on it maybe a little bit. Yeah, and what we got out of it, which, of course, can be completely different than what somebody else got out of it, and we may even disagree with each other on some of those. That's true. But it's all fun. Okay, so we start off here, the... Marvel movie conversational questions we have here. Yeah. yeah we're going to start off with the Incredible Hulk. Okay. Baby arms. Um, you know, and Incredible Hulk, you know, what's what what's the source of his power? You know, he, he, his anger, you know, he gets gets angry, right? And you know? the drugs he took. Gamma rays. Well, the gamma rays, true. Yeah, that, that definitely helped uh, get him there, you know, but when he triggers off, you know, the, the strongest Avenger, you know, he's got to be angry to get there. He can't just, like, pop off the, the rails for no reason, right? That's, yeah, if he, right, he couldn't yeah. be Happy Hulk. Yeah, yeah, well, so I mean, what we're getting at is, uh, you know, uh, what what makes us, is normal people, what makes us angry? What makes you angry, Josh? Um, if someone eats my Oreos? That okay. would do it. Yeah, well, I won't do that, do you? No. <laughs> Even though you did offer earlier. Um, Still, the offer's up. I know, you're tempting me with them. They're just right in front of my face. What are, your, what are some of your triggers in life? What are things that, are tr- that trigger you into just pops your cork? That's a hard one. Um, I'm not so sure. Like, if someone's not, like, just in general, if someone's not, like, treating you as if you're another fellow human. Oh, with, without respect? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I gotta say, guys, I can't stand red lights. That was in our. God, which that was in our. Are we living in the 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 red pill, blue pill, the the Genesis one? That we're we're, are you? Were we living in a simulation? And Chris was adamant that we're living in a simulation because he hits every red light that we come across. I mean, it's just I I don't like him. I'm more of a roundabout guy. I'm very triggered by selfish people. Selfish people, sure. It, when somebody is putting their interest above everyone else around them, it drives me absolutely crazy. 
you know, it's kind of a little father-like son there. You know, I mean, in, in a way, uh, you know, people that don't treat you like equal with the respect. Um, now, ironically, psychologically speaking, altruism mm-hmm. is probably the highest form of selfishness. How's that? Well, when we act in an altruistic way, we benefit. If you are prone to being altruistic, if you're driven to be an altruistic type of person, you benefit from the dopamine rush. Oh, sure. Oh, you, yeah. You feel good about yourself. You sleep better at night. You feel like you bring more value to society. It goes back to a lot of the, you know, the, the, the primal instincts that we have as a species where we bring value. It brings us security. That's the only time that I can really tolerate selfishness oh, is sure. when it's done out of altruism. If we were all selfish in an altruistic way, it, the world would be an incredible place. Oh, sure. I've heard rumors that that's how they build the pyramids. They were just so altruistic. And with slave labor. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not that stuff. Before then. <laughs> when it was all magical and heavenly. It was. <laughs> the aliens did it. Yeah. <laughs> so altruism is doing something that benefits others without really having any kind of materialistic gain in return. So you're not getting paid to help other people. You're not getting any kind of kudos or praise for helping other people, but you do get internal rewards. Your brain releases a chemical called dopamine, which makes you feel better and you feel good about yourself and you sleep good at night. And uh, that's, that's its own reward. Yeah, I was a bit confused in what you were talking about for a second. Yeah, it won't be the first time. Most of the time it's because I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes when I'm confused, I get angry. But uh, You get irritated with yourself? Yeah. No, but it's not the type of, you know, I think maybe to hone in more on the question is like, what about like the type of anger level that would get, get you to go full Hulk, you know? Red lights, you know. They, uh, <laughs> We're not going to do that. You know, they, they're, we'll, we'll put a pin in that for, for now, but, you know, they're one of them. Uh, I can tell you today, and it has been for a few years now, what probably puts me into, it's one of the few things, let's take children out of the equation because if somebody's going after the kids, that's one thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's killing grounds. Yeah. Wipe out the kids. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not angry, no, if somebody is going after Tina, my wife, or being disrespectful to her, I go into full combat mode. Oh, sure. Yeah. About four years ago, we went to a Christina Aguilera concert in Vegas. Nice. And at the end, there was a, a little table set up. It was a fairly big table where, where all the people from the concert could go and they had taken pictures and you could like buy your picture and whatever. And, and Tina was standing in line behind a guy and there was another guy that I could see him out of the corner of my eye kind of making his way and just cutting through the crowd to get up front. Oh, yeah. And he had some Karen on his arm who was prodding him the whole way. And you could just tell she was bitter. She felt entitled and she was pointing and go over here and go do that and go do that. Yeah. And he cut in front of her. And when he did, his shoulder kind of rubbed up against her and pushed her out of the way. And that was it. I was, I'm standing in, I'm standing in Las Vegas, at 11 o'clock at night thinking I'm going to end up in prison. And so I grabbed, I actually put my arm on the guy and I pushed him out of the way. And I told the guy at the counter, I said, don't deal with this guy. Yeah. And the, the kid at the counter was, he was probably, bless him, he's probably like 23. Okay. And he just looked at me and he nodded and he hmm. said, 
already saw it, wasn't going to talk to him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the guy, back, bro. The, the guy turned around and walked off. But I was, uh, there's very few things in this world that could bring me to the point to where I'm willing to fight. And somebody going after my wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, I, I, yeah. If I had gamma rays in me, I would have hawked out on that one. <laughs> well, speaking of that, is it ever really okay to be angry like that? Okay, so anger is just a natural emotion that it's hard to control. And this is something that you and I talked about the other day, is that the way our brains are designed is when an external stimuli enters into our brain, those signals have to pass through the limbic system before they get to our prefrontal cortex. And what that means is the limbic system is your pure emotional section of your brain. So you have signals that go through the emotional section. They have to propagate all the way through that till they get into your prefrontal cortex, which says, wait a second, let's stop and think about this and get logical. Mm -hmm. I listened to psychologists before that have talked to high school students and they have tried to teach the value of if something impacts you and causes you to be angry, you know, the value of stopping and counting to 10. Oh, sure. Take a deep breath, count to 10, think about it, think about it again, and then go through it because that gives that signal time for your prefrontal cortex to actually implement a little bit of executive functioning, deductive reasoning and logic and say, yeah, you know, punching this guy in the throat isn't the best resolution. The yeah. best resolution is to deal with it this way. Col so. Colossus says that to uh, Wade Wilson to, to Deadpool. You guys remember that one? You know, Marvel reference there? You know, it, it's yeah. five seconds for it's him. It's five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he was saying... Um, Before killing someone. No, <laughs> Colossus was saying, yeah, there's, there's uh, four or five moments in life that that make you to be a hero. It's, you know, you don't brush your teeth a hero. You don't get up a hero. It's, there's five things you do in life that make you, but yes, I do, I do remember that reference. Yeah. Yes, it is okay to get angry. We cannot control our emotions completely. It's not how we feel. Okay, let's go, let's, let's go to a Batman quote. And it's, I'm paraphrasing, I'm tw it's a twist on a Batman quote. Okay. It's, it's not how we feel that defines us, it's how we act upon our feelings that defines us. Oh, yeah, sweet, yeah, yeah, from um, one of the Dark Knight movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's what we do that defines yeah. us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, in anger, the experience of that emotion is in response to information that's coming into our, right. you know, that's, that, our, our that's, brains. And that's contrary to what we desire at the moment. Yeah. So with that, we can't really control or help that we're experiencing this emotion. But what we can do is how we respond to it. We can train ourselves to, you know, not hulk out um, and, you know, maybe go have a sip of tea instead or something. Right. And how to deal with it logically, yeah. diplomatically, rationally, legally. You know, that's what's most important. It's not what we feel. It's how we act. Yeah. Well, okay. So how can we learn to channel our anger constructively? I'll go back to the taking a deep breath and counting to 10. And if we're angry about something, that means it's triggered or it's sparked something in it that we're passionate about. Yeah. We're working against or towards something that is valuable to us, and we need to channel that in a positive manner. How can we remedy a situation in a manner that is in the best interest of everyone involved when possible? Yeah, I mean, uh, my mind instantly goes to art of some sort. You know, you can channel it creatively. You can you know, write it down in a story. You know, maybe it's a painting, an expressive painting, or, you know, a cool guitar solo. You know, or maybe it's like a murder mystery and you're just like, man, how would I do it? You know, and you just write it down on a piece of paper and you don't actually do it. You publish it. 
that's what you do. You don't do the murder. And, uh, <laughs> you know? And, yeah, don't kill somebody. Yeah, that's the but, wrong way you know, you to go that, about it. That, that satiating, just like, mm, I did it, and it didn't solve anything, but at least I did it, you know, in my writing. Well, going back to the part, like, where you calm down, you yeah. get, like, anger and all. Yeah. Well, one way to do that, just eat an Oreo, go sit down, watch your favorite TV show. That'll do it. Sure. Oreos are magic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The there's a lot of different ways that you can channel anger, and you you actually my you know my opinion on this is you have to channel it in a couple of ways. I used to when I lived in San Diego and I was dealing with a lot of things in my life. I used to do a lot of hiking. No. Oh, yeah. Nice. And there was you know we lived a you know it was probably a ten minute drive away from a couple um, different mountains. Um, you know Mount Woodson. Uh, I'd go up. There was a rock on top called Potato Chip, and everybody would want to climb up to Potato Chip Rock. And <laughs> yeah, that was a good hike. Yeah, and I would hike that trail, you know, probably twice a month. Hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not Mount Everest. It's um, it's you know not El Capitan, but it's it's a good hike. It's you know probably a four thousand foot elevation change and oh, wow. and about three point six miles up. You know, so three point six miles down. It's it's a good workout, and when you get back to the bottom, you feel a lot better. Oh, nice. But coupled with that, you can't just bury what's bothering you at the same time. Oh, sure. You have to churn through it, try to rationalize it. And sometimes, and Josh just Josh and I just talked about this the other day, sometimes the best way to do that, uh, kind of what Josh was just hinting at, eat an Oreo, play, <laughs> watch a show, play it, but go back and readdress it in your thought with a clear head and a fresh perspective. Totally. And sort through it. Because the worst thing you can do is bury it deep down inside until it goes away because it never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you have that, um, that MIG moment, you know, until, right. until you cool down from that, uh, you can't think clearly about what's been experienced. Um, yeah, you got to really fully digest it and settle down before acting upon it is always great advice yeah we have to engage our again we're we're flawed fallible creatures us humans and our prefrontal cortex is too small our adrenal glands are too large and we have to be aware it's called metacognition we have to be aware and understand how our brain works you know the metacognition is thinking about how you think and if you can understand that you really need to get to the point where you need to be more cerebral more prefrontal frontal and give yourself that time, and then go back and think about it logically, rationally. Then you're you're much better off. It's true. Anything else? How, how would you, Mister Sherman? How would you, if you got just so angry, what would be a good way for you to like channel your anger and get it out? Okay, so the Oreo part is another part of that because <laughs> definitely Oreos are delicious. They calm you, and especially if you're like if you're like really angry. I would just, and you're like having a bad conversation with someone, like a big argument, I would just leave the room, like go into your room, close the door, just calm down, take like, if you're like really bad, like (laughs) it's been like a really, really bad argument about, just an example, like divorce, Mm -hmm. that, that could be pretty bad. You could go into your room, take a nap, wake up, you you could start talking about it again. Try to keep it a little calmer. Totally. Calmer. Hmm. No, it's good. Disengage from the situation and reassess. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of combing through some, uh, you know, the the info we have here. Um, what do you think? Oh, oh, God, you, sir. Uh, you no, have to. No, Chris no. is being tempted with an Oreo. Yeah. You um, eat it. I will eat some Oreos 
in the future okay. when there's milk present and I, I I just I have to I, I I can't do it not yet we just had an amazing dinner and so I'm quite full folks and on the verge of a food coma but I'm keeping it together I'm keeping it together for for all of you because I'm so altruistic all right awesome. <laughs> sorry <laughs> all right do we have any what's next so I mean oh, should we go through it chronologically or just kind of like uh, cherry pick you know because um if you see one that tickles your fancy you're the question reader yeah like down here in the Avengers um, transition to uh, why do you think we're so compelled by movies that center on a hero's willingness to sacrifice themselves and that's pretty much the question you know like why is that like a, a thing that that we as people are so attracted to you know what I think it has something to do with the fact that we want it, I think it's a security blanket we want mm-hmm. to know that there's people out there that have a bigger impact on the world than we can have that have more ability to control and influence but have our best interest at heart over yeah. their own interests. Oh, sure. And yeah. it makes us feel good watching that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it sets a good example, too, mm. especially for folks that are genuinely like that. You know, it doesn't, uh, you know, if somebody's, like, feeling alone or something, but they're just like, man, I, and, you know, they see a, a superhero movie, and they're like, all right, I'm going to keep going. You know, I'm going to do the right thing. And I, I, I can't think of an example right now, but I'm, not gonna hit the old lady in the crossroad. <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm pulling at straws here. Um, no, would you agree with that, Josh? I think we like knowing that there's strong people out there that have our best interest at heart and not their own. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people like that, but other people are on like different sides who don't really have a heart to do good things. Sorry, well, we don't do that here. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll bleep that out <laughs> <laughs> when we we make little. That sounds pies good. and we can have Joshy. Uh, Joshy can share this with your friends. Okay, I will definitely do that. That's that would be my answer. Okay, I mean, cool. just okay, yeah. just put yourself in a little you know, think about it in a paradigm shift on, yeah. on the exact opposite. If we lived in a world where the seven and the boys really existed, how would we feel about um, having a homelander who had all the power in the world but absolutely cared nothing about the people, right? Yeah, put it into that type of perspective i mean that's tough like what would you do you know when there's nothing that you can do what would you yeah, do? yeah yeah exactly you know i mean you just become a martyr to your own right. pride you know or and whatever re- you'd call it yeah and as a result we like the superman character you know? totally yeah we don't like seeing homelander succeed we like seeing superman succeed right truth justice honesty integrity and empathy and a passion for you're making everybody safe and for you know our for our generation and our posterity it's something that we feel good about totally well there is also another word for that called plot armor where the main character is like impossible for it to die hmm and plot armor plot armor i've never heard that term i, I know it's it. a new term plot armor and so like all those superhero movies one character like could be super, super close to death and not die. And the villain would like literally about to beat the superhero, but then the superhero's like, I'm so good, I'm gonna kill this guy. And then he wins. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we keep watching it over and over again and we love it. We <laughs> eat it up. Why? Why are we so compelled? We love succeeding. Yeah. Never losing. Was that the only one to do with that one? 
Well, uh, it does go a little bit uh, deeper. You know, what is it about that story that moves us? And uh, do you know any real-life examples of that kind of selflessness? Um, so the real-life example that I would have on that is historical. And I'm trying to think now that you said that of a more present-day uh, example. So I have very, very few heroes in my life. And in fact, my probably one hero is somebody that if I met in real person, probably wouldn't care for me too much and we would probably butt heads, but that would be George Washington. Hmm. That's funny. <laughs> and one of the things that I had, I have a lot of respect for is at points in his career, he was at the pinnacle of power. Yeah. He could have easily have... At the, at the end of the Revolutionary War, he resigned his commission as general. Yeah. We didn't really have an established government. We had, an articles, we had the Articles of Confederation, but it was loosely formed. There was really no true centralized power. He had somebody like Washington, who was a national hero and had the entire military and his generals would have followed him to the gates of hell and back. Yeah. And he didn't take advantage of that. He resigned his commission, and it kind of goes back to... He, he was a, um, a proponent of Cincinnatus, and Cincinnatus was a Roman general that had been a farmer. And when Rome needed him the most, he put his armor back on and led the Roman armies to victory. And when he was done, he was the most powerful person in Rome. And instead of taking advantage of that, he resigned his commission, he turned his power back over to the people, and he went back to being a farmer. Wow. And Washington was in that same vein. And not only did he do it in... Um, in 1783, at the end of the revolution, he did it again in um, 17, <clears throat> excuse me, he did it again in, in 1796, uh, 1797, after his eight years of presidency. And there was no two-term limit on presidents at the time. He could have had complete dictatorial power if he, he could wanted. He had complete dictatorial powers. And in fact, he is the only president still today to win not only one election unanimously, he won two elections unanimously. Wow. That's the kind of influence and pull and, and how enthralled the, the country was over Washington. At the end of his two terms, he resigned. Yeah. And he said, I think that two terms is more than enough for any man as president of the United States. And he was a strong proponent of sharing power of the peaceful transfer of power from one president to another and said it's somebody else's turn and he went back to Mount Vernon. Yeah. So that, that is so, my historical example of somebody that... Uh, yeah, of, of heroism, altruism, selflessness, and in such an awesome position of influence to set a precedence for so much. What people don't understand is usually by relinquishing power, especially if you're relinqu relinquishing power to the people who you have influence over, so you're relinqu relinquishing it to the masses, mm -hmm. you actually gain more influence by doing that hmm. than you do by putting a chokehold on the system and trying to stay in power you know, at any cost. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, in that aspect, it's, it's more of a uh, reciprocated energy, one that keeps going around from the the wielder of power that you know wields the glove or the sword or whatever and the people that are supporting that and following it uh it creates that that trust by saying like here you wield it a little bit too oh now you can see what it's like i don't know i don't know if i'm, I'm hitting the nail on the head on this one but <laughs> but cool yeah george washington does rock <laughs> <laughs> he helped the world 
Just a tiny bit. I yeah. Know. What else we got? Here. What makes someone a good friend? And this is kind of uh, in context to Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier. If we remember back in Captain America, you know, he had his, his friend Bucky, uh, who became the Winter Soldier, <laughs> and those two seemed to go through... Quite a lot. Quite a lot together, yeah. Had a very deep bond, and we're really good friends. What do you think, Josh? What, may, what would make somebody... a What would qualify somebody to be a good friend? Well... Them respecting you, definitely, first. Because if you had someone, like a friend, that didn't care for you at all, like, that wouldn't really be a friend. That would just be someone you pretty much know. And another one would be, like, give me a second to think. Sure. Just like, well, there's definitely a lot of things with having a friend. Like, not being toxic to you, them actually being kind, and... That's pretty much it. Just have them respect you and be kind to you and just have fun together. Yeah, I think that touches on all of it. I mean, you have to have a common interest with somebody, uh, you know, usually to be a good friend. But you know, definitely respect. You have to have, they have to put your interests at least on a par with their own interests, sure. if not higher. Yeah. If you really care for somebody, then you care about you know, what influences or what impacts them just as much as you care, if not more, on what, you know, impacts you. It's a, it's a level of trust. You have to be able to trust that person, you know, not to betray you, not to you know, stab you in the back. You know, somebody that you can, you know, share you know, your secrets with and your concerns and your worries and that does not judge you for that. Oh, sure. Yeah, or use that information against you. Yeah, right. You know, or spread it around or something like that. Yeah, good friend. Um, in my book, I, I love it when I can call my good friends, and it's been quite some time since we've talked because we're adults and we're busy and life finds a way, and you just pick up the phone and just like, hey, what's up? And you pick up right where you left off. You know, there's no like, hey, where have you been? Jesus, you know, you moved out of town. You didn't call me. God, you're the terrible friend. You know, I'm like, hey, man, I, I just wanted to say hi, but didn't want to get this lecture about, you know, how busy I've been. That's a bad friend, if that makes sense. I haven't had that happen to me before, though. No, only good friends. It goes down to the not, <laughs> to the not judging. You know. Yeah. You, when you're a friend with somebody, if they're a true friend, you're friends unconditionally. Totally. It's easy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else with that? Well, so um, on the Captain America thing, um, you know how I brought up that they've been together or not been together, but been through a lot together. Um, it does ask, uh, for those who are familiar with Captain America and the Winter Soldier, does Steve go too far in his commitment to Bucky? Why or why not? Do you remember that storyline, how you know, Bucky was half bad and was working for the Russians and they were using him to be an assassin, but Captain yeah. America never... He never really gave up on him. Yeah, they were, he, he knew that he was being brainwashed. Well, I remember when... Um, that, like, Russian dude trapped him in a cage and started, like... like reciting the keywords. Like, they were reciting a ritual. Yeah. And then he, like, became evil all of a sudden, and then he started attacking Captain America. Do you think Captain America should have given up on him as a friend? Definitely not, but sometimes... Actually, no, not definitely. Most likely not. He shouldn't have, but at the same time, um, he maybe should have... Because it's like, it's, it's sort of like he's in a cult. 
Like, he's being forced into a cult, and these people are making him... Brainwashing him. Yeah, like, brainwashing him to do not really good things. Like, trying to kill Captain America. Terrible things. I don't really remember it much, though. No, that's fine. I think I think there's a... So I would say, no, he did not. And the reason I would... He did not go too far in, in you know, staying true to Bucky. And the, the only reason I say that is because... Bucky was doing what he was doing, not out of his own choice. Yeah. He didn't have free will in that that situation, and Steve Rogers knew that, and he understood that that's not who his friend was and that something was wrong. Yeah. Now, if we have a friend who, of their own free will, goes out and does things that we disagree with, that causes us harm, or causes other people that we love and care for harm, then... Yes, I can see that. that. That is a betrayal of that friendship. It's a betrayal of your trust. It's a betrayal of that bond. Yeah. Then you can go too far. But I think in the in the case of Captain America and Bucky, he knew that the real Bucky was still in there. Yeah. And he wanted to help get him out. And he knew that Bucky was, was struggling with what he was going through. Oh, sure. And he didn't give up on him. Yeah. Good friend. Good friend. Gives us a great example of what that, you know, can look like. Yeah, but th- there's also, you know, to, to Joshua's point, you can only do that for so long. You know, in the case of Bucky, fortunately, he worked hard. He was able to pull through it. Sorry, spoiler alert. But yeah. <laughs> I think most people who've listened to this have probably seen all the Avenger movies. And, you know, Bucky turned out to be a, uh, a really good guy and a good friend to others as well. Yeah. But there is, there is a threshold. Yeah. At some sure. point, you have to admit defeat. The hard part is knowing what that threshold is. Yeah. I don't know if I could think of an example. A real life one from mm-hmm. from from your from from your experiences. I mean, I've I've certainly had good friends, uh, totally. Um, but you haven't had like any friend that would go out killing people. Yeah, um, I, I've never really been in a situation where I had a I had a yeah. situation that wasn't you know as bad as Bucky. My my friend wasn't an assassin <laughs> <laughs> for working for the Soviets and the Russians, um, but. Yeah. I did have a situation where a friend kind of went off on the deep end mm-hmm. and I kept trying to pull him back. You know, at the beginning it was easy and then it got a little bit more difficult. I think in his case there were, you know, alcohol was definitely involved, but in, in some cases drugs were also involved. And it kept getting worse and it kept getting worse and it just kept getting to be more and more difficult to pull them to my side of the fence. Yeah, And at one point, I just said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have my life. I have other friends. You know, I'm spending all my time doing this. And it hurt, but I cut strings mm-hmm. and just said, I can't let you bring me down. Sure. And we went our own ways. And in this case, it was some years later, uh, I got a call from that friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, can you come down? And I haven't seen you in a long time. And so I did and went down and it was like, Nothing had happened, and we kicked it back off again. And you know, we had some beers, and we, you know, watched a football game. And then, you know, later on in the night, he's just like, "Dude, I just wanted to tell you, I'm really sorry for all the crap that I put us, you know, put you through, and blah blah blah." Oh man, yeah. And at that point, I mean, what are you going to do? At that point, it was like, man, that's what friends are for. You know, I wish yeah. I could have stuck with you longer, and you know, and and you know, kick right back off again. Yeah. Heck yeah. Should we go to a tinkle break? <clears throat> Yeah, let's sure, go to our tinkle yeah. break. Let me see if I can pause this. Ready? Don't restart it. It's going again. Yeah. Donald Duck, you said. That's we a bit, it doesn't restart. Nope, it's good. 
We're good. We're back. Mm-hmm. Guys, I have to confess, while we were gone, I ate an Oreo. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you cheated and studied some of the questions. I did. I did it. Yep. <laughs> did he did it? Yep. And I'm skipping right to the Doctor Strange stuff. Ah. Mm-hmm. I like the sound of that. Those movies were great. Yeah, I liked them too. All right, Doctor Stranges. Yeah, so for Doctor Strange, uh, the beginning of his journey to being a powerful hero uh, is started by a devastating loss. So uh, how does that loss shape him as he becomes a hero? Can I say something? Of course, yeah. Okay. Well, after he lost his little fingers <laughs> from the car crash, mm-hmm. he like went on a journey to try and find out if he can actually fix those fingers. And he went to, I forgot the name. Camarouge. Carmitage. Carmitage. Yeah. Um, he had, I, I don't remember the name. He had some guy introduce him into the place where he was going to learn his magic. And there he just went on a quest to fix his fingers. What was the, how, how was the question phrased? Well, uh, how does uh, his loss uh, shape him as he becomes a hero? Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that it did, and one of the things that we often do as humans is what we place the most value in in our lives isn't actually what brings us the most value Hmm, interesting and sometimes you can't see past that until you lose what you have oh yeah and i think that's what happened with dr strange you know his entire life everything that was important to him revolved around his work Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until he lost his ability to work that he really went out and was able to find what was most important to him as a as a person. What yeah. what made him the most passionate? What what brought the most value to him? Mm-hmm. My two cents. Seemed like knowledge, uh, you know, for him, learning in general. Yeah, the the lost thing totally a catalyst for wanting to create better circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, through through loss, how to avoid loss can make a person really be motivated to do. <laughs> Sounds so simple, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, Yeah. Uh, And are are, are painful experiences always negative? Josh, what do you think about that? Are experiences that bring us either physical or emotional pain always negative? Well, that's a hard one. Um, Could you rephrase the question? Are painful situations, so either physically painful or emotionally painful, are they always negative? Not always, but most of the time, yes. It mostly just depends on the situation. Maybe it starts off as being perceived as negative, but moving forward through time, it can be transformed. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be a negative. Yeah, pain. There's there's this saying, uh, you know, transforming pain into power uh, is kind of like a way of coping through painful experiences. <laughs> You know, maybe an Incredible Hulk got really angry and, you know, devastated your house because he was a Tasmanian devil tornado and, you know, destroyed everything. And, you know, how do you cope from that loss? But then, you know, people were pulling together and starting to build, rebuild their communities. And that's how Joe met Sally, and then they went off together and fell in love and had kids. And if it wasn't for that painful experience, they never would have. But bingo, you know, transforms a positive into a negative over time. I'll throw. I'll give you uh, another. I'll, yeah. give you, I'll give you another Batman quote. Yeah. Okay. What do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to rise up again. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. there's a lot to be said of that. And there's there's a lot of other adages and you know that go around with that. You know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade and. 
it's, it's not the pain that you feel, the emotional pain or the physical pain that you feel. It's how you respond from that, which truly, you know, derives your intestinal fortitude, your, your strength as a, as, a, as a human and what you make of that. And to your point, you know, Tina and I have had this conversation multiple times. And when we were, when we very first started dating, I went out and got this deck of cards. It was like 500 question cards okay. to ask uh, uh, each other date. on a date. They were like conversation starters. Yeah, okay. And they get pretty personal. And, you know, and you go in and, you know, you just have these open conversations. And after we used to do these little staycations where, you know, every other weekend we would go out and stay in a hotel like in San Diego by the beach. And, you know, and we just sit up and read the cards and drink wine and, and, and have fun with it. But we learned a lot about each other in the process. And you know, I think one of the questions that she had drawn for me was, um, you know, that, that we readdress later is, you know, do you have any regrets in life or what regrets do you have in life? Oh, okay. And after Pretty thinking, of, yeah, it was. And after thinking about that one for a while, I mean, in, in you know, not, I don't, I don't mean hours or minutes. I meant, you know, years where I kind of readdressed it again and said, there are things that I've done in my life or that I've experienced that I wish would have gone differently or that I would have responded to differently or that I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't change anything, and I have no regrets. Yeah. And the reason being is because everything I've been through, everything I've done, right or wrong, has led me exactly to where I am today. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah, heck yeah. So no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. And I learned from those experiences. Painful experiences teach us a lot, not just about the world, but more importantly, who we are as a person. Yeah. That's how we come out of that experience. That's far more important than anything else. Yeah, they're like significant uh, milestones. They're like reference points, you know, for who we are. Yeah. Yeah, we have to learn from them. We have to get up. We have to move on. You can't let a painful experience drive you down for the rest of your life. And I know people and we have, you know who I'm talking about. We have members in our family that have had bad situations and here they are 20 years later and they're still ruminating on it and living at home and, you know, not putting forth the effort to make themselves better. And they use that experience as an excuse, as a crutch for the rest of their lives as to why they could never reach their full potential. And in truth... The only thing that's stopping them from reaching their full potential is is their own drive. It's themselves. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We have to we have to be able to overcome that. So yeah, painful situations suck. They're hard to get through. It's how we deal with that situation and how we come out the other side that matters, not the situation itself. Totally. Okay. okay. I'm gonna go right to the next one, which is awesome. Okay. I'm gonna go to Guardians of the Galaxy. How does Peter's past influence the kind of adult he is? Peter Quill. Peter Quill. Star Lord. Yes, I said Peter's past. Yeah. So Peter how does Pan. Peter? How does how does Peter Pan's past? What? <laughs> what? Okay. So how does his past influence the kind of adult he is? Oh. Well, I could say that he's definitely more independent since after his mom died and he ran away and was kidnapped by some aliens. By space aliens. Alien. Um, it would definitely make him more like learning how to do stuff himself. That, yeah. This kind of, and this is kind of related to the previous question. I mean, he was dealt at a young age. He was dealt kind of a crappy hand. Is 
he didn't he didn't know his father and his mother ended up having cancer and he lost her i, I don't know how old was he in that movie like 11 or 12 years old probably yeah no, i think he was a bit younger than maybe he was so yeah, we'll say been. we'll say nine to 11 somewhere around that yeah. that time frame and again he could have you know people react differently some people go through bad situations and it, it crushes them and some people go through bad situations and it makes them stronger and to your point josh i think that's right he his past helped turn him into who he was in the future by being stronger more independent capable of taking care of himself yeah so i think with him he turned it into a positive opportunity not a negative opportunity sure yeah i mean he had to grow up fast and get smart on those space streets his streets his space street smarts yep space space street smarts yeah and totally if he wasn't kidnapped by space aliens um supposedly um his dad would definitely have been like different he would have been like a different person yeah and he learned things too i mean he didn't know his father and i mean his grandfather they only showed him briefly at the at the very beginning of the show but you know he was kidnapped by yondu and he was raised by yondu and you know yondu wasn't always the best to him didn't teach him always the best you know life lessons and morals and values in life but he was always there for him and you know ultimately he had allowed himself to grow into the position where he understood that he didn't look at everything through you know a, a single spectrum of a lens he you know, looked at everything with more of an open mind yeah he had the broad spectrum right even though sometimes he kind of tucked it down to you know portray an image but oh sure we all do that yeah well i mean you know he was listening to all those uh you know cool 70s kind of disco tapes too you know so great soundtrack yeah yeah he had to you know, live up to those heroes, too, and maintain that kind of cool guy image. Yeah. Well, why do you think there are some people who have a difficult past and it makes them stronger, while others have a difficult past and it makes them bitter? It's internal drive. It really is internal drive and, you know, a sense of confidence. And, you know, if, again, you get knocked down, you have two choices. You can either lay there or you can get up. And some people choose to lay there because it's not easy. You know, even our, you know, sometimes... It's not beyond our control. We have to, you know, our brains, our brains are, are absolute great biological organisms. And, you know, they, they get us to where we are, but sometimes they're our biggest enemy. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they don't want to exude a lot of energy. They want to take the easy path. And a lot of people in this world will actually work harder to take an easy route to something than to, you know, fight the battle that needs to be fought at the beginning to get what they want. Sure, just fight that battle within, the battle of will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, turn yourself into the person that you want to be because if you are not the person that you want to be, it is no one else's fault than your own. You know, I, I heard of that as uh, being one of the definitions of hell. Uh, it was like this example that somebody gave uh, one time where when you die... Uh, a version of going to hell is uh, looking back on your life on what you could have been and realizing that it would have been better or something like that. Like you could if have you just put forth a little bit of effort sure. and pushed yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. And it, it, and one of my, one of my phobias, and it's also a pet peeve with others is um, lost opportunity, missed opportunity. Oh, sure. Yeah. To, and it, you know, there's missed opportunities that you have just out of timing, but if it's missed out of apathy or laziness or laziness, or yeah, like, yeah, then it, like it drives oh, me crazy. It's, yeah, um, I, I encounter that 
yeah, on a micro scale when I drive a lot, you know, where you can just see somebody who's not paying attention cause a lot of people who are going with the, with the flow of traffic, we're all having a nice day. And then, oh, this just trying to one up someone and is now almost caused an accident. And now there's this hour long slowdown because somebody wanted to save themselves 0.00001 second or because somebody didn't want to let someone else in or, you know, lost opportunity from laziness. You guys know I have a problem with traffic. <laughs> um, you know, for so somebody that, that drives a yeah, lot, that's a yeah, that's, that, that's that's where my mind goes. You know, really easily right now. I'm about to leave for a trip, so it's kind of on the forefront of my mind. Anyway, yeah, no lost opportunities. Back on the Hulk question, that was one of the first ones of this episode. That's one too that can get my my Hulk rage. I want to smash. Uh, yeah, or, or if, like small example that I just had, folks. You know, we went to this. Um, this show that was advertised as being a three-day show, and it was only a two-day show, but they advertised it as a three-day show, but it was only a two-day show. And what that meant was a lot of people bought tickets to this show, and they were very upset because their expectations didn't meet their reality. And it was all because someone decided to lie to everyone and promote this show. And it was a lost opportunity. A lot of the vendors really struggled because the morale of the event was low. And it was all because somebody dropped the ball. We don't know. It's it's, it's totally madness. And I didn't kill anyone. So, you know. Um, that was good. So, yeah, it, it's all good, you know. Um, and if you're thinking about killing someone, folks, yeah. please don't. Take um, a deep breath. Yeah. Help <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean... I would probably hesitate about that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we'll do the, the five-second breath. I don't have problems, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, you definitely don't. Um, on to the volume two of Guardians of the Galaxy. Who do you think the writers... How do you think the writers of this film want us to think about what constitutes family? That's a good hmm. question. Because mm-hmm. they're kind of dysfunctional at many points. What is it about them that makes them... I'm asking you, Josh, what is it about them do you think makes them a family, makes them not dysfunctional? Well, we're talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy, like in general. Yeah, and you also, I mean, that's Guardians of the Galaxy in general, but in the second one, because you mentioned Volume 2, that was also about his father. Yeah. So you kind of have two different kinds of families there. So, yeah. Um, If we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, I would think it's just how they work together, their teamwork. And, again, how they respect each other as a team. Totally, yeah. They kind of have each other's backs. And being a family, too, you you, you know everybody's, everybody's strengths and weaknesses. And that can kind of help with how you help be a clan, be a family, is, you know, you can see when someone's down and, you know, you just are there for them and you help them out. Uh, whether it's, you know, being an open ear for listening or physical stuff like holy crap you're literally about to drop all the groceries let me just pick that up for you or something small little stuff i think there's two different types of families there's one that's a family of loved ones of kindred spirits of those that you have faith in and then there's family that's bloodline totally and i you know my you know i grew up in a somewhat dysfunctional family i have families you know scattered around i was close with many of them when i was younger but one of the things that i learned as i as i got older is just because somebody is related to you through you know, genetics 
Yeah, I mean, they might meet the the classic definition of family, but that doesn't make them your family. Okay. You know, my my family today consists of a mix of people that I love dearly, that I would trust with my life, and I would trust with the lives of the lives of other loved ones. Some of them are genetically related. I have you know Joshua here, and I have my daughters, but my broader family and the family that is most valuable to me, which includes, you know, Joshua and my daughters, is you and Holly and Tony and Sean and Tina. And, you know, there's there's no genetic relation, even Debbie, which is some people may find odd. You know, my my first ex-wife is part of our extended family. And she was over tonight for dinner and, you know, with our daughters and, you know, her and my wife get along really well. That's a family. Yeah. Somebody that you can trust, that you can that you love, and that doesn't judge you for little things. I have a brother. I haven't talked to him in 27 years. Mm-hmm. He's spent years in prison. He's been, you know, on and off of drugs. He's been an alcoholic. He's had opportunities given to him, and then just let it fall through. Um, he's betrayed other family members, stolen from him. Oh, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He's not family. Yeah. You know, so, you know... A family is that network of people who we rely upon that can rely upon us, and that's... It's symbiosis. It is. Yeah, symbiosis is a really good one for a lot of these types of things. Relationships in general are healthy when when they're symbiotic, meaning that there's a give and take, there's, there's a... A reciprocated energy, um, and it's it's easy too. It's not one that is micromanaged, like you know, like oh, I did this nice thing for you, so now you have to do a nice thing for me. And no, it just it just kind of happens, you know, naturally. You just are altruistically helping others, and that feeds back in a way, you know, because you're creating a healthy environment. All the people are happy. You know, the the crops are growing, the rain is flowing, the sun is shining. Every, everyone's happy. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't work when somebody says, "I'm your father, or I'm your mother, or I'm your brother." You have to respect me, and you have to love and me. And because of that title, yeah, then yeah. you have to lick my boot. Yeah, it's you like, know? no. And if you don't lick my boot, then you will be punished. There are things in life that are earned. You know, trust, love, respect. Those things have to be earned. They're not given simply because you have a title. Totally. And I know this causes a lot of people angst in you know the, the the family culture. And I've had friends like that who really didn't get along with their parents, and their parents were you know, kind of cruel to them. And you know, it's, they didn't beat them, and but it was you know, always disappointed in the decisions they made, and always not happy with what they wanted to do with their lives and things like oh, that. Yeah. And it's it's like well. You know, part of being a family is you don't judge. You know, you you want somebody, you want you want your loved ones to be happy and to do the right things and make the right choices. But you also have to be supportive of them, and you want those people to be supportive of you and your passions and your decisions. And your that's a family unit. And, and part of it too is like if you don't agree with you know somebody's life choices, and you know they go out and they get hurt. You know, if they when they come back, you don't judge them. You know, you're not like, see, I told you. I mean. Unless they say it's okay, but you know you're there for him. You're like, oh, that sucks. You know. Yeah. Oh, you can keep going. Oh no, I mean, it, when people, when people, like, uh, when people are trying to better their own circumstances, and then there are other people that try to bring you down while you're pr- doing it. Bring, like, yeah, that particular story that you just told I me, mean, it, it it hits a personal chord. You know that that happened because my partner and I we we moved out 
to Texas. And there were these people that we thought were really good friends. Um, they just like, I don't know. I, that was a bad situation. This isn't my therapy session, guys. So I'm, no. <laughs> I'm trying not to like open up about too many personal like details. But there's just people out there that really, the rest of us would just really hope for you to wake up and be like, hey, the world doesn't revolve around you. If someone wants to move to Texas, that's fine. That's their choice. You don't need to make it all about you. <laughs> I, get I just that. had to get that out there. <laughs> I get to add another beep to yeah. the audio too now. <laughs> like, um, if, to, to kind of finish up, you know, what uh, uh, we, we've kind of described what healthy environments are like, you know, the symbiosis, the uh, everybody's getting along. But then there's parasitic relationships where people are always disagreeing with your situation uh, and they're always saying oh you shouldn't do that or you know why would you follow your dreams when you could you know be a <sighs> there's a lot here guys there's a lot here I didn't realize this was going to be such a catharsis uh, 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 Moment. yeah open up um, you know your your feelings kind of episode but um, yeah um, Getting back to the family. Yeah, part. thanks, homie. I was I was going on a downward spiral there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, you pulled well, him back from the abyss. Yeah. yeah. You have ascended back. Yes. From the descendant. Yeah. Okay. So about family, having a family, it's not about like if someone's done something bad, like you realize that what they've done isn't really too good, but you still love them, but you just don't like what they did you lose trust you lose trust you lose faith but you still love them for example like like say your brother like say your your older brother went and stole the car that wouldn't mean you didn't love him it's just you lose trust in him you're disappointed in him and then yeah there's there's some of that too it's and this kind of goes back to you know the steve rogers captain america bucky situation on you know, how far do you go not only to support a friend, because a friend could be part of your family. Yeah, it's how long, you know, how far do you go to support family? And, you know, there are some cultures where there is no end to the amount of support you should give to some family. I don't subscribe to that culture. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because we all have lives, and I believe that people need enough help to get them to where they need to be, but you can't be their crutch for the rest of your life. And if they go out and say they stole something, and then they show remorse, they try to repent, they want to make themselves a better person, I'm going to be there and try to support them and help them get through it. But if they steal something and you tell them, you know, hey, buddy, I love you, but you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And they give you the proverbial finger and then they go out and steal something else and then they go out and steal something else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Help isn't one of those things that, you know, it need needing help and, and giving help, it, it's temporary. It's not a permanent thing uh, because then if it becomes permanent you're talking about codependency and yeah. enabling yeah you know you could have somebody that's down on their luck and you know they they need to borrow a couple hundred dollars or something because they need to pay rent or their bills or whatever the situation is they just need the money right you know and so you loan them the money and then if they come to you the next month they're like hey i need that money again you know and it's like hey what what happened yeah it only, given, and, you know and, and all of a sudden you're enabling them to you know have a heroin addiction or something like that then you know, you're not really being a good friend, um, uh, even though you might feel like you are because you don't want to tell this person no. But sometimes being a good friend is actually 
making not a hard helping. decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's not always about giving. I had a I had a situation before a couple of years ago before I moved to Texas, and it was a um, it was an army buddy that I hadn't talked to in I don't know twenty five years, and he called me out of the blue. You know, we share phone numbers with, you know, we have a group still. We all, you know, we share phone numbers and addresses. And oh, yeah. out of the blue, I get a, a call from a number in um, Mexico. And that's where he was living. And he told me, he's like, you know, I'm down here. He gave me a story. I'm down on my luck. We were just moving and had a lot of money tied up into the move. Yeah. And he's like, I just need help getting back on my feet. Hadn't talked to this guy in 25 years. Yeah. And I talked to him for a couple minutes and I thought about it. And I thought, you know, i I would have taken a bullet for this guy at some point in my life. Yeah. I'm I'm going to risk it. Yeah. And I did. And I, I PayPal'd him, like, I don't remember how much you don't it was. You don't have to say Yeah. It was, you know, some chunk of money. Yeah. And every month, he PayPal'd me back after that. He, so the first two months, he didn't. And I just sent him, I was like, you know, is everything okay? Were you going to pay that back? And, yeah. And he's like, man, I'm sorry. He said, I was just typing a message to you. He said, I'm almost there. The next month I got like a hundred bucks. And then the next month and then the next month got all the way up to the amount that I had loaned him. Yeah. The next month he sent me some more. And then the month after that, and I went back and was like, dude, stop. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. You have no idea what you did. Yeah. And he said, I'm paying you interest. I don't that's care. Awesome. He said, if you send it back, I'm going to send it back to you again. So yeah. I was like, but I said, that's fine. Don't do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then when, when Madeline was sick and um, we started the GoFundMe page, uh, he donated like three times to that. Oh, that's awesome. Over time. And, wow. And, and I, you know, I, I sent thank you notes to every person that donated to that. And, but with him, it was different because he was having problems with his connection down in Mexico. So he would PayPal me the money. Oh yeah. And gotcha. ask me to donate on his behalf. Nice. Every time. So it just, you know, sometimes you have to take the risk and you help. Totally. But if he'd have come, if, you know, if he'd have come not paid me and then a couple months later said, oh, I'm almost there, but I need another I don't know, five hundred or a thousand dollars. I'd have been like, dude, that's enough. Yeah, you gotta cut your losses yeah. and yeah, just move on. Yeah. Well I But not the case in that scenario, so that's cool. Sorry, um, Joshy. I don't even know if I read it already, but there's another question. Um, what do you think makes fam- a family? I think we covered it indirectly. It's that yeah. it's it's the bond of Chris mentioned a good word, it's symbiosis. And symbiosis is I take care of you, you take care of me. Mutualism. Or it's it's mutualism, exactly. And you know, we don't judge each other. We love each other unconditionally. We don't have expectations. I'm not going to nag and harass somebody in the family to act in the way that I think they should be acting. Josh is my son. If he's acting in a way that I don't think is proper, I'm going to let him know. But, you know, there's extremes that, you know, you, there, there's middle ground. You also have to let them express themselves and define their own way. You just have to guide. Now, with older family members, it's different. Sure. Yeah. And that's the non-judgmentalism, the, the trust, the support, um, you know, the being there for each other and you know, having fun together and enjoying each other's company and being able to talk about what's bothering you without people just condescending or bringing you down even further. And, you know, there's a lot to go with that. And we, we have that here and that's awesome. It but, awesome. you know, it's, I see a lot of people who aren't like that. As soon as somebody's down, everybody wants to dogpile. Sure. And, you know, that's not a family. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, the philosophy behind that's kind of like the natural order, right? You know, you see that in like, 
packs of wolves, you know. Yeah, the weak one gets you know, eaten the, by the, the other. weak ones, or, or like, <laughs> you know, or they have that, you know, the hen pecking, they call that, you know, you watch like hens and stuff, you know, they're always pecking at each other until you have like that alpha hen, you know, at the top, you know, so there's an argument that, you know, that's a, a natural way of things, but I'm going to go ahead and say that you're a beast and you should know better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, would you agree with that, Joshua? Yeah. Um, okay. That was all the questions. Was that all of them? Yeah. Whoa. Let me see that. Did we not miss? I was kind of jumping around. Oh, we're, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You went. We did the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Captain America. We did. Oh, no, we didn't do Captain America. We didn't? I thought we did. No. What makes Steve the right person to be Captain America? We did Winter Soldier, but not Captain America. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it means the right person to be Captain America, you know, Captain America as like the leader of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he definitely displayed uh, putting others' needs above his own with the whole jumping on the grenade thing. That's a pretty big defining moment um, of saying, like, this guy has what it takes to have a lot of power juiced into him. There was a there was a saying when I was in the military that um, it's not a matter of who is the most courageous or the bravest to take the grenade for somebody when it's usually a case of the smallest person in the proximity to be picked up and thrown on the grenade. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yes, that was, that was, I mean, what would you think of, just so as a, as a leader, what, what made Captain America, Steve Rogers, the most qualified to be the leader of the Avengers? It's just somebody who would take the position of working out, like, group and stuff, like, dealing and... Just, like, taking care of the group members, like, just leading the group to do what they got to do. I mean, again, the grenade, I mean, the jumping on them is, like, a big time showing, you know, I'm, all right, I'll protect you guys. Well, yeah, in the first, um, in the first Captain America movie, when he was in all buff and stuff. Yeah. When he was skinny and small, the guy threw out, like, a fake grenade, and he jumped on top of it. Yeah, so it doesn't take being strong and buff and... Having yeah. superpowers to be the leader. It's just, you've got to have courage. Well, there was a, so in, in my previous job, I started that with so. Let's start over. In my previous job, there was, actually it was my previous, previous job. I, I used to take a lot of courses on leadership. I took some in the military. And then in my um, business, my professional career, I took quite a few. And I actually taught leadership on a few occasions. <laughs> And it's interesting to learn you know, what is it that makes somebody a good leader. Yeah, what did, over. What, what did you learn? What did they say? Well, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of books out there, and it depends upon, if you read enough books, you know, if you read two leader books on leadership and then you read a third book, you might pick up 15% what you didn't pick up in the other two, but they're said in different ways. Okay. You know, and then you read a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And there was one that I liked, um, the, the gentleman's name is John Maxwell, and he did... A, a categorization of what he would call the five levels of leadership. And it's a little bit similar to Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. needs yeah. And in, in that sense, you, know, you started off at level one and you worked your way up to level five and you couldn't achieve level three until you finished level two. And, you know, on to level four, you had to do one, two, and three and et cetera. The, the first one, which is the lowest level of leadership, is just on your position. It means you are given a position of leadership. Okay. You get promoted, and this is from really the business world. You get promoted, you're put in, the employees are told, this is your new boss, you have to follow what they say. You, 
it's not really a, a strong position. It's the weakest position of leadership. The boss position. It's the boss position. Yeah, okay. The second one is uh, based on um, relationship. Okay. That is, it's called permission. So then you have permission to lead. And you never truly lead anyone until you are given permission by that person to be the leader. Mm-hmm. They may have to follow you if it's just a positionary uh, leadership position, but they may not want to. Mm-hmm. Once they give you permission, they want to follow you. Yeah, And that might just be because they think you're a good person. You seem to know what you're doing. You have some competence. Uh, they're still maybe gauging your honesty and your integrity, but you seem like a good enough person that, yeah, okay, I can work for this guy. Yeah. The third one is production. What has this person done for the organization? And it could be a company, it could be a team of Avengers. How are they contributing? You know, is it the guy that, or the girl that stands in the back and watch everybody else does all the work and they don't really contribute to the success or they don't bring any good ideas or values to the team. But if they do, then you've hit that third level. Personal development is number four. That shows the team that you have interest in them as individuals to help them better themselves, to become more of a leader themselves. Mm-hmm. And then number five is the pinnacle. That's when people follow you simply because of who you are as a person. Mm, wow. They've deemed that you have honesty, integrity, you have passion, but you also have uh, composure. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a thing on, you know, I had somebody tell me one time when I was teaching leadership that they thought passion was the most valuable, like the trait. most valuable leadership trait. Mm-hmm. And I reminded them of a Democratic candidate, I think it was back in 2004, and he was extremely passionate. And he had won some of the caucuses. I think he won the Iowa caucus. And then he got up and was giving his speech and just went way off the rails with his passion. Yeah. He said, passion gets to a point to where it motivates people. Yeah. And then you hit a point on the curve where it just drops off like a cliff's edge and you're a nutbag. Oh, yeah, totally. So you have kind to have... Kind of like what I just did a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, to, you have to have composure to go with that. Sure. You know, people want... Like we'll go back to George Washington. He was extremely composed. He had honesty. He had integrity. He, he, he was very staunch disciplinarian, but he was fair. Yeah. He didn't have ambiguous rules. If you got punished, it was for a rule that you knew was there and you violated it of your own will. Yeah. So there was no arbitrary punishment that was that was inflicted. He gave up power when he had it. You know, when it was when it was done, he would relinquish power. He cared about the people that served him. And that's that's another thing that most people have to understand about leadership. Leadership leadership is influence. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. That's all it is. It's the mm-hmm. ability to influence others. And damn, darn it, I lost my train of thought there. Um, what, what were we talking? George Washington. <laughs> George Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, that's you know, a lot of people just you know have to understand that. Okay, I know where I was going with that. The job of a leader is to serve the people that work for them. Yeah, that's the job. And I used to tell that to my team every time I would, I would sit down and just tell, ask the people, "What are you good at? What's wrong? What's broken?" My job is not to do your job, because if I'm more capable of doing your job than you are, then you're not the right person for this job. Sure. You know, I hire you to be better at your job than I am. So tell me what you need to do your job well. Yeah. And then we gave it to them. Yeah. And lo and behold, that's the easiest way to, you know, put a team together. Sure. This is what you're an expert at. Yeah. You do that. Yeah. What do you drive? (laughs) And then all you have to do is mitigate the chemistry. So, Mm. you know, as as a leader, and I think that's one thing with um, Captain America... His job was there to serve the team, 
influence the decisions that were being made, help them become better people. And he genuinely cared about the people. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like the leaders, like it's not, it's not the actual bones. It's the, the gooey joint in between. There you go. Yeah. You let people be themselves. You give them autonomy, you give them responsibility, you give them direction, a mission and a vision. Mm -hmm. And then you support them. You support them. You give them the tools that they need to do their job and to do it well. And then you just step back and you watch the sparks. Totally. But if you give them a big red light when they're, you know, going on their way, then it might stymie their progress. But that's it. That's why you, and I would say that I spent 50% of my job working to remove obstacles. Yeah. Not obstacles out of my way, obstacles out of of my team's way. Yeah. And fortunately I had a good enough relationship with my team and we would meet quite frequently and, you know, they would tell me, you know, this is where I struggle doing my job. This is what I run into. And if I couldn't find a way to correct it myself, then I would spend a lot of time trying to remove those obstacles. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then there's people in the company who it seemed like their only job was to create obstacles. And it was just maddening. Ah, uh, yeah. Get them on the guillotine. Yeah. <laughs> so Chop their heads off. Yeah. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. Where's that passion? That was most of that question. I mean, any character traits that you think that Captain America had that you would really like to have, Josh? Um, or what character traits did he have that you thought made him very effective at being Captain America? Definitely. How he just transformed into um, big guy, buff boy, buff boy. Well, it always helps, yeah. When you're well, I'm, you know, my you, you brought up composure too. He uh, like how George Washington was well composed, and Captain America. I mean, Chris Evans's portrayal of him, he was always composed um, or doing the best that he could. Uh, and he was serious about what he wanted and what he wanted to do. Yeah, I'm just like going back in the in the questions, you know, because it's just like. So how can we learn to channel our anger constructively? <laughs> well, there's a rifle range down the road that works well for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, or you could live peacefully outside and grow a garden. I like yeah. your growing a garden there. Yeah, it might work for climate change too. So, but I think that was all the questions. Yeah, I think so too. Josh, did you have any additional thoughts or on family or leadership or anger? Anger, baby arms. <laughs> So, even if you do go through an argument with your family, this still doesn't mean that you just don't have any. That doesn't mean that they hate you anymore. Oh, no. 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 You, they still love you. You still love them. Mm-hmm. It's just a moment in your life that kind of sucks. Yeah, and that's true. It, it's you, you have to learn to forgive, and sometimes you have to take the high road and be the one that takes that first step, and it's not always easy. The, the challenge is, is when that argument or similar arguments happen over and over and over again. If it comes to a point to where you are arguing almost as much as you're getting along, you got a little bit of a toxic relationship and either you need to find a way to mitigate that or yeah, you have an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carrie Fisher, you know, Princess Leia, I remember hearing in an interview, she had a great quote that uh, things are never over. They're just over there. There's one to ponder for you. There, I'm pondering. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely pondering. Yeah, no, so you're right. I mean, you know, no, friends are, inev- it's a, an argument is inevitable between friends and loved ones. Again, it's not the fact that you argued, it's how you came out of that, and it's how you argued. You know, you'd, 
you don't get personal in those kind of situations and attack the person personally and go into an ad hominem where, you know, well, this argument is going to be the one, but one by the person who insults the other one the most. That's not it. Yeah. You have to have constructive arguments and debates and you try to turn that argument into a constructive conversation instead of a yelling and screaming match. Right. Yeah. Get to see eye to eye. Yeah. It's once things get emotional, when you're having a debate with uh, somebody and it's why Chris and I started the podcast is, you know, even when James comes over, we talk about things where we, you know, vehemently disagree with each other, mm-hmm. but we don't get personal with it. And we don't get emotional with it because once it gets emotional, then it's no longer a constructive conversation. It's just an argument over who can win, who can lose. And there's no such thing as a win lose situation in a healthy relationship. It has to be a win win. Yeah. On the, by the time you get out the end. Good. Yeah, I think that was, cool. that was fun. And that, that was one where we really didn't uh, look at the questions in advance or spend a lot of time on it. So we were kind of flying off the, uh, yeah, we're just flying off our cuff there a couple of yeah. times and having a fun one. So pretty deep. Yeah. It gets pretty deep. Yes, it does. But deep conversations are good. We like having these conversations around the house. We get into them, um, <laughs> actually quite often. I was going to so. say too, you were, you know, uh, when you were just talking, it was making me think of, you know, how to quell those, you know, Hulk rage, you know, demon out moments where you just want to toss someone up on the guillotine. And I tell you, uh, a little bit of acknowledgement always goes such a long way for me in my book. You know, say, for example, I'm stopped at a bunch of red lights and a bunch of lovely people are cutting me off and, you know, I'm just having the worst time ever. If one of those people just gives me like the gesture of like, thank you or like, you know, or I'm sorry or, you know, just... Any sort of acknowledgement, I'm like, all right, it's cool. I blood pressure goes down yeah, 38%. Blood pressure goes down. I don't want to murder that person anymore. As a matter of fact, I want them to have a great day because we're now friends, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, there you go. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot you can accomplish with so little. <laughs> there's also a little trick, and I learned it from Benjamin Franklin, which was interesting enough. And it was, uh, he had a, he had a, a colleague who, he did not get along with, and the, the gentleman didn't like him. A lot of, I mean, J- Benjamin Franklin was awesome, but like John Adams didn't like him. But this wasn't John Adams; it was uh, somebody else. Okay. Benjamin Franklin wanted to repair the relationship, and he didn't do that by doing something for this gentleman. He did it by getting the gentleman to do something for him. Okay. And it was something simple like borrowing a book. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah, he's, he made a, you know, he wrote him a letter saying, you have this book and I was very interested in it. And would you be so kind as to loan it to me? The guy did. He read it and returned it. And after that, they, he never had another derogatory thing to say about Benjamin Franklin. There's a psychological thing into that. It's amazing. That the way the brain works is we justify and we rationalize. Yeah. If you do something good for somebody or if you do something to help somebody out, your brain subconsciously rationalizes that the only reason you can be doing that is because it's actually a good person and I'm going to give him a break and I'm going to see what I, you know, help this guy out. Yeah. It actually brings you closer in a relationship. That's amazing. Yeah. And now if somebody does something for you, then your brain might also subconsciously be thinking, oh, they're trying to get something out of me. They're just being nice because of so-and-so and so-and-so. Totally. Yeah, they want something from me. They, they, that's right. They're trying to manipulate me. And right, yeah. So there, you know, there are little things like that. It's, you, know, you have somebody where you, know, you think it's kind of silly and you know, get them to do something for you, and you will actually see their, their way of thinking change as a result of that. Wow, that's amazing. Oh. 
Anyway, that's enough of the deep thought, I think. I think we have other things that we want to do for the rest of the night. Yeah, let's go eat some more Oreos. Yeah, you go eat some Oreos. All right, everybody. Thanks for <laughs> listening and, uh, and yeah, just riding our waxing philosophical yeah. wave. And we hope that you got something out of it. And if you have any you know thoughts or suggestions or ideas or opinions um, that we didn't cover with any of those questions that stand out, please let us know because we'd love to hear them. We kept like getting to the end, then we started a new conversation. It, it's true. It's that's like what that. happens. It was like we we're about to put the period at the end of the sentence. It's like, oh wait, one more thing. Yeah, that's why Josh is sitting across from me with his head back and his eyes rolling up in his head. So <laughs> <laughs> let's kill the conversation, Mr. Sherman. Thank you for joining us again. Love having you. Thank you. Love you guys. Love you, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Irrational Discourse Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com, or you can contact us directly through our website at www.irrationaldiscourse.com. Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout out for your contribution. We only ask for and strive to give in return a little love, acceptance, and mutual respect.